Hey everybody, uh, Sam Mellinger, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star and another episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. I appreciate you guys listening this week and I hope to be worth your time talking first about the way that sports are changing forever, then questions about the Royals' approach to the shortened season, the future of college basketball, and the negotiations between the Chiefs and Chris Jones. Uh, We end with a bonus segment with clips from conversations I had this week about sports reopening. Um, I talked to Nick Kenny, Royals head athletic trainer, Kurt Andrews, Sporting Kansas City's director of sports medicine, and Zach Binney, an epidemiologist from Emory University. Uh, Lots of good stuff in there. Uh, But I want to start with something that, that Vahe wrote about this week, and I do hope that you check it out. It's about athletes. Athletes, finally in 2020, understanding the influence they have and, and showing an increased willingness to use that influence. We saw it most obviously in the Black Lives Matter video that Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew and other NFL stars made, basically forcing Roger Goodell into an apology, which is an incredible thing that actually happened. But uh, you know, now more recently, we've seen it in the way that K-State athletes and then subsequently their coaches uh, spoke out against a you know just a patently ugly thing. Uh, said by a student there who apparently has a, a history of patently ugly statements. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about the particulars. The The purpose of Black Lives Matter uh, has been twisted and distorted by too many. And there is a great debate. Um, I mean that sincerely, a great debate to be had about how and or whether to punish speech, particularly on college campuses. Uh, you know, because it, it's just not as simple as like, hey, that's racist, kick them out. You know, there are a lot of layers to this that, you know, if we're responsible, they deserve exploration. So anyway, like I said, that's a debate and and maybe we'll get more into that another time. But for now, I just want to point out none of this is going away. You know, personally, like I've always tried to keep sports about sports. Uh, You know, I'm as interested in your politics as you should be about mine. And I'm generally as interested in an athlete's politics as I am a stranger on the street. But uh, what I'm saying is that you should expect more of this. You know, not all athletes, uh, but more of them and in different forms. And you know what? I'm actually good with this. You know, we have become so damn divided as a country. It's it's ridiculous. Um, you know, way too many of us see things as some sort of binary choice. You know, like you're either with me or against me. And if I identify as a Democrat or a Republican, then I need to agree with everything the party leadership says. Uh, you know, it's like this team sport, to use a terrible analogy. But like, you know, look, this is the only time uh, I can remember talking specifically about politics. Um, I'll just say, like, I am skeptical of any human who identifies with all of either major party's platform. I just think we all need to do a better job of of thinking for ourselves. And I think this part is important, too, um, you know, that we we don't just get all of our news from like Breitbart or all of our news from Slate. You know, let's be a little bit more thoughtful. You know, my hope then and and maybe you're going to laugh because this (laughs) maybe this is painfully naive, is that I hope that sports can help heal us. You know, sports are, if you think about it, sports are the last place in America that people on each end of the political uh, structure, the political spectrum, uh, gather and interact and communicate. You know, if, if I'm the type to ignore or be against Black Lives Matter, but I also love the Chiefs. Uh, you know, maybe my favorite quarterback and my favorite defensive player showing up on that video convinced me to be a little bit more open-minded. The same thing's true in reverse. Uh, if I'm the type to argue for, you know, police forces to be disbanded or receive less funding, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe if somebody on my favorite team talks about their dad or sister or cousin's stress as a police officer, then, you know, maybe I'll listen and take that into consideration. So I still don't care how an athlete identifies politically. Uh, But my perspective on this has changed a bit. Uh, I'm a big, like, sort of listen to the experts guy. 
there are people who spend their lives studying and living in certain disciplines. And, you know, when our attention is drawn in those spaces, we can learn a lot by listening and asking questions of those who know it best. But, you know, again, we're just so damn divided that, that maybe athletes being a step removed from politics, maybe that can be a good thing. You know, our politicians certainly aren't bringing us together or talking with each other. So maybe athletes can help fill that void. Uh, maybe athletes can help us think about things from, from different perspectives. Uh, if that happens, uh, they'll help make us better. Okay, uh, we're going to hit the questions now. If you'd like to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Uh, leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Um, had a great batch of questions this week, and I appreciate everyone who called in. Here's the number one more time, 816-234-4365. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, quick break, and then we are back with the questions. Hi, Sam. It's Scott from Lenexa. Hey, uh, we could talk about how you think the Royals should handle their pitching this year, whether they should run about their six innings or everybody runs two innings, and what they should do with all their uh, all their rookies and their young guys. Thanks. Okay, so uh, Scott called in before the column posted this week on this, uh, and I do hope you'll read it. There's a lot of information in there. Um, you know, the Royals just went all in on starting pitching. That was always going to be a fascinating experiment. You know, the rest of the industry is moving toward power hitters and relief pitching. Uh, you know, the gamble with pitchers, particularly starting pitchers, is always injuries. They break down. Um, you know, now those risks are even more delicate with spring training shut down in mid-March. And then, uh, you know, now we get this shortened camp ahead of the July 23rd opening day. I always feel like I should clarify that the Royals will start on July 24th. But anyway, uh, you know, this is the Royals' most precious commodity, and they absolutely 100% need to get this right. I talked with uh, Royals executive J.J. Piccolo about this, and he sort of he, he outlined a plan that he described as uh, part science, part instinct. And, you know, the, the keys are in making sure guys are getting enough work that a full 2021 season won't blow out their elbows while simultaneously just, you know, erring on the side of caution as guys ramp up from workouts to competitive games. And, you know, for what it's worth, I ran their plan by uh, Dr. Glenn Fleissig. He's the uh, research director at the esteemed American Institute for Sports Medicine, and he gave it a thumbs up. So, you know, generally speaking, the Royals are going to be more cautious, particularly with young guys who haven't had seasons of 150 innings or so. I'm talking here mostly about, you know, prospects like Chris Bubich, uh, whose heavy, heaviest workload so far is 96 innings. And then obviously with Asa Lacey, the fourth overall pick in this year's draft, who everyone just seems to think is going to be a star. So what they're doing makes intuitive sense. And, you know, there's always the chance that the lighter workload this spring could allow guys to heal. We literally do not know. And that's what's so interesting about this. Okay, here's a uh, college basketball question. Sam, this is Chris. I, mean, I guess I'm going to do your minutes. I uh, never did it on the phone before. Uh, hey, I I'm a KU guy, longtime college basketball fan, needless to say. But I'm terrified about the future of college basketball, and, I, and I'm not even talking about KU's NCAA thing. I'm talking about I, I, I think that sport is going to die as the NBA starts taking guys pros earlier, et cetera, et cetera. 
What, what do you think the 20-year feature of college basketball is? Have a good day. Um, I don't know, um, except that I do think it'll be vastly different. If you think about it, it's already different than it was just a year ago, right? Um, you have name, image, and likeness rules changing. Uh, the NBA is investing more to keep the best high school talent from spending that gap year uh, before they're eligible for the draft overseas. But, you know, the other effect of that is, depending on, on how much they continue to invest, it's probably also going to keep some of the best high school talent from spending that gap year in college. Um, you know, th- th- there's some reasons to be skeptical, right, of, of how well the the new G League, if we can call it that, will work, right? Um, you know, college basketball teams can't offer salaries, you know, <laughs> not officially anyway. Uh, but it does offer superior coaching to what's available in the G League. Uh, it's a bigger stage. It offers a kid more, and I, I hate this term, but it fits uh, branding opportunity and more intense competition. Um, you know, the truth is the G League will last as long as the NBA wants it to. Uh, that league has enough money to consider it a relatively small investment in future stars. Or it could drop the age requirement and go back to putting those guys directly on rosters. Um, there's a hundred possibilities in between. So uh, we can't know. But I, I would say that broadly college basketball should remain popular. And then, you know, in certain parts of the country, it'll be wildly popular. Kansas City being one of those um, into the future. You know, because look. Even those of us, like me, who believe that it's absurd that paying the labor in a multi-billion dollar industry is prohibited. Uh, We also wouldn't be honest if we don't recognize the benefits of playing big-time college sports. Uh, Benefits beyond scholarships I'm talking about. I think about it like this. Like, Chris, so so you say you're a big KU fan. Uh, I'm guessing that when RJ Hampton committed to KU last year, you were stoked, right? Uh, And then when he decided to play overseas... Guessing you didn't watch too many New Zealand Breakers games. Um, I had to look that up, by the way, uh, where he played last year. But in other words, you know, people like me, um, you know, I can talk about how the name on the back of the jersey isn't being properly compensated. But I also need to keep in mind that the name on the front of the jersey has a hell of a lot of power, too. You know, Zion Williamson came into the NBA with a much better runway to success than, you know, Darius Basley, who played in the G League that year. Um, You know, college basketball is going to have to meet this challenge closer to the middle than they've done so far. But, you know, again, with the name, image and likeness stuff, I think we're starting to see that. I don't know that we're ever going to get back to like the 1980s and 1990s college basketball. Like to me, at least that was college basketball's peak uh, in my lifetime, at least. But, you know, it, it's still a great sport. It still has a lot to offer. And, you know, if you just think broadly, like just the the sport of basketball, the popularity continues to rise. So I, I do think that they'll be OK going forward. But that, man, they need to do a better job. Here's one way to look at it. Right. They need to do a better job adjusting with the times in the ne- next decade than they have in the last one. Okay, uh, we got time for one more question, and uh, this one's about the Chiefs. Hi, it's John Levy from Western New Jersey, longtime Chiefs fan. Wondering why the Chiefs aren't t- and Chris Jones aren't talking more about signing a long-term deal. I know there's a lot of things in front of it, but he seems like an absolute star, and he seems like a really good guy, and he could be a backbone for the Chiefs defense for many, many years. Just haven't heard much about Chris Jones and the Chiefs in a long time and wondered why they're not making a more concerted effort to sign him. Thanks. Uh, this is timely. Uh, John called in before Chris Jones' tweet the other night saying that he'd sit out the season if he's not giving a satisfactory contract extension. And Look, this is something we're going to get into more ahead of that July 15th deadline for Jones to either sign that franchise tag uh, or, you know, maybe work out an extension with the Chiefs. But, uh, you know, for now, let me lead with the broad view. Um, In these situations, I think we always want a good guy and a bad guy, right? Like we want to talk about the player being greedy or the owner being cheap or whatever. uh, And 
sorry, I just, I, I don't see it like that here. Um, I completely understand both sides. Like for the Chiefs, their best shot at extending Jones was always last off season. They could have leveraged his la- the last season of his rookie contract and found, you know, just sort of a palatable price. Um, instead, they traded for Frank Clark, uh, gave him the contract that Jones wants and kind of kicked the problem down the road. Whenever this is mentioned, it has to be noted that strategy absolutely already proof smart. The Chiefs won the damn Super Bowl. Uh, that would not have happened without Jones. But it also meant that his price went up. And with big contracts all across the roster, I mean, Travis Kelsey, Tyron Matthew, Clark, Tyreek Hill, you know, Patrick Mahomes is about to sign the biggest contract in league history. At some point, the salary cap becomes a real thing. From the moment the Chiefs traded for Clark, uh, I've always believed the likeliest outcome for Jones is that he plays the upcoming the two, 2020 season under the franchise tag, and then is traded after the season. Uh, I still believe that because even, you know, he can threaten to sit out. And I have to believe that was a momentary sort of lapse in discipline from a camp that's hit all the right notes. But Jones still has to show up this season to accrue the time and move toward free agency. But it's, look, it's so easy to see where he's coming from on this. Chris Jones has been a model professional through this whole thing. Uh, showed up to camp on time last summer, formed a real bond with Clark, and that could have been a thing that blew up. If, if Jones got jealous, uh, you know, that, that could have been a real thing. And, and he was a grown-up about that. He was a man. And, you know, he took on noticeable leadership with his teammates, uh, completely bought in, and just wrecked it on the field. So uh, he's earned what he's asking for. And, you know, the Chiefs' hesitations come mostly from reasons outside of his control. So, look, like, this is not... The Chiefs mismanaging Eric Berry or Justin Houston. I just there, there's no bad guy here. So to directly answer your question, um, you know this hasn't been in the news as much because the the NFL is just an extremely like deadline centric business. Stuff just does not happen until the deadlines approach. So again, July fifteenth is a date to keep in mind. But you know, unfortunately for I guess the the Chiefs and Jones, it's hard to know what's going to change between now and that deadline. And it's, it's hard to see how the Chiefs would be able to give Jones what he's looking for. It sure feels like he'll play at least part of the season with the Chiefs and then, you know, go get that contract somewhere else next season in exchange for a draft pick or two. So, um, okay, uh, one more quick break and then we are back with the bonus segment. Happy baseball is back week. Uh, the Royals are training. Um, they're calling it summer camp, which you have to admit is kind of funny, uh, like they're roasting s'mores at the end of the day or something. But uh, they're working at Kauffman Stadium and living at home in a city where coronavirus cases continue to pile up. It is a fascinating thing with enormous implications and an interesting juxtaposition with the approach of other leagues, including MLS, which is requiring teams to join a centralized bubble in Orlando seven days before their first game there. I wrote a column on this, and it's on the website right now, so I hope you check it out. But I also wanted to share some clips of the conversations I had for the column. Uh, we talked with Nick Kenny, Royals head athletic trainer, Kurt Andrews, Sporting's director of sports medicine, and Zach Binney, an epidemiologist from Emory University. Uh, we're going to start with Binney, uh, who offered some insight on the difficulties of safely opening up before the virus spread is under control. Uh, this is a longer clip than we usually play, but there's a lot of information in here, so I think it's worth it. Cases are not as low as I think me and all my colleagues wanted to see them before we talked about bringing sports back. Uh We were hoping 
that we could get this country to look more like South Korea or New Zealand or at least Germany. But we don't appear to be on a path for that, at least nationwide. Some areas are doing decently and some areas are doing incredibly poorly. Mm -hmm. So we also don't just have one epidemic in the U.S., right? We have a whole bunch of different ones at different stages. And that makes any talk about returning sports very difficult because some things, uh, some areas can reasonably allow more things than other areas. Yeah. So what does that all look like? Um, You know, okay, so the first thing I'll say is, like, if we're going to bring sports back, I don't see things nationwide getting a whole lot better than they are right now. Some areas will get better and other areas will get worse. Um, Hopefully we'll be responding consistently and in a sustained manner to these spikes in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and elsewhere. But I don't know. I don't know what we're going to look like in a month or two months. But, you know, then we're getting into the fall and you're worried about – not necessarily a second wave, but the weather just worsening everything everywhere. Mm-hmm. So places that are doing great go to okay, and places that are doing poorly go to real bad. Yeah, That's yeah. kind of, I think, the assumption of what the fall and winter are going to look like. So if I'm talking to a sports league and saying, you know, I can't really say, hey, just wait. Just wait. Just wait a couple months. Wait for the situation to improve. That doesn't make sense to me right now. So you have two choices. One are one is to not come back until we have a vaccine. The other is try to make an incredibly strict plan to actually come back with reasonable safety for your players and employees and the public's health in the situation that we have right now in the United States. Okay. Right. We've already seen sports be able to come back in Germany, South Korea, Taiwan, New Zealand, even Mm -hmm. Spain and Italy, right? Two of the Mm -hmm. worst hit places at the start of the epidemic have their major soccer league back without fans smartly, but they at least have, pro sports back, but because we didn't get our act together, we're now reaping what we sowed. A weak response breeds this. Why can't we have sports back yet? Because we didn't do the work to get them back. There's a lot to unpack there, and it's worth emphasizing that Benny is not saying sports cannot or even should not start up. He's saying the response has to rise to the challenge and that the parameters of a safe return here are different in the United States than they are in other countries that have lower case numbers now. You know, generally speaking, uh, Benny endorsed the approaches of MLS, NBA, and the NHL primarily because those leagues are deploying frequent tests and varying forms of a bubble to limit the contact between athletes and other employees with the outside world. So uh, this is a good time to bring Kenny in because I asked him directly about that and whether he'd feel better in a bubble. No. I just think that, you know, the one thing that we're, we're also worried about here is just the mental psyche of our guys. And I know that people can sit there and say, oh, well, it's only, you know, it's only, you know, up to four months if you make it to make it to the championship. That's a long time, man. Yeah. Okay. That's a long time. And, and, 
you know, these guys have already been through quite a bit mentally to get to this point. Uh-huh. And I think there's got to be a point where you just got to, you, you, you got to trust them too, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we can't make this prison for them. Kenny is objectively very good at what he does. His reputation in baseball and the training world is terrific. Much of that is in his preparation and his ability to communicate complicated processes or ideas simply. That's probably never been tested like it is right now. He's asking professional athletes, primarily in their 20s, with lower immediate risk than the general population, to leave the ballpark and be more careful than the general population. Okay, here's him again. It's like sending a kid to college. You can teach him all you want, but is he going to carry it over when he's on his own? Right, right. And it, that's, it, that's our biggest concern is will these guys be socially responsible to know that their actions outside of the clubhouse, outside of the field, outside of the buses, outside of the hotel, outside of the plane, are they taking care of their business that way? Here's more on how he and his staff are doing that. This is a very complex issue, but in regards to what you need to do on a daily basis, you need to just keep it simple. You know, you have to have your pillars. You've got to be able to maintain your distance. You've got to be able to keep your hands clean. You've got to make sure that you're not touching your hands, nose, or face, right? You've got to wear your mask indoors, right, because your circulation isn't as good, okay? And it's, it's just an extra protective layer. For us, meaning that's that's what we're doing, right, in this space, because we got too many people going on, even though we're trying to separate them. And if you can't maintain those things, you probably shouldn't be there. If you yeah. ask the question of yourself, is this a good idea? Guess what? It probably isn't. <laughs> right? Yeah. It probably isn't, right? Because you already have doubt. So act on your doubt. Andrews, uh, and it's worth mentioning here that him and Kenny are close and they communicate regularly, Uh, but he had a similar message. Uh, You know, the key is in detecting these cases quickly, contact tracing quickly enough to stop one case from becoming four. He has concerns about hotel staff and keeping everyone inside the bubble, but he also spoke to concern I've heard from others, particularly in college sports. Basically, it's how can one team trust that its opponent is being aggressive and proactive with this and not letting on-field competition take over? particularly with a player who tested negative but is a presumed positive based on symptoms. Like what happens if one of your players gets that the day before the game you test? Results come back 12 hours later, 24 hours later, or whatever the turnaround is, and it's Alan Polito, and he's a presumed positive. Well, then he's ruled out for the game. He subsequently, subsequently isolates, does another test, it's negative, does another test, it's negative. So that presumed positive, you presume was a false positive, but he's missed the game, you know. And, and how do you how do you manage those situations? Yeah. The the league and, and all the medical staff have to err on the side of caution, um, and not allowing people to play in a game that's a presumed positive. But it's it, it's probably going to be an issue that comes up eventually. You guys, so. Uh, summary, and I know I've said this before, but it's always true. Uh, everybody is guessing. I'm happy that leagues are starting back up and, you know, not just for selfish professional reasons, right? Like, uh, I think sports are important to a lot of us, even when we can keep things in perspective. Uh, it's just going to feel great to be able to watch games again, even just on TV. And that has to be worth something. 
The trick here is threading that needle between playing and safety. And the league's deploying protocols aimed at keeping case numbers below what they'd be if, if their athletes and employees were just at home. Uh, I'm rooting like hell for it, obviously, but it's hard to imagine how we're not going to see at least some disruptions. The key is in, in limiting those disruptions uh, as much as possible. God, I hope we can do it. Okay, uh, that's the show for this week. Uh, thanks again for your time, and I hope we're worth it. Huge thanks to Randy Mason and Savannah Smith for putting this all together. And one more time, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, call anytime, 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Can't wait to talk next week. All right.